Hi, my name is Andrew Pontius. And I'm Will French. And this is Edge Cases, a podcast about often Apple-related software development and Fram oil filters. <laughs> this is episode 10. We're recording on Saturday, July 21st, 2012. And what's today's topic, Andrew? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. The topic today is the Veal Pen ramifications of developing for proprietary platforms oh okay because this is interesting so i i've i've heard the you know the um share cropper analogy but the veal pen is decidedly darker well yeah because i think i think you mentioned it in one of our earlier episodes talking about being in the veal pen oh wow, okay um well one of us did anyway and that it sort of stayed in my mind an alternative subtitle is dave weiner versus the world <laughs> Uh, and its sequel, Dave Weiner and the Infinite Sadness. <laughs> right? yeah, you, get, you get that, right? I, I got that. Yeah, okay. Very good. Uh, so, okay. So I'm going to perhaps dangerously invoke the Syracusa curse by saying that this is uh, deliberately uh, a shorter topic than, than last week. Last week we went over a little bit over an hour. Uh, and while I have a lot of links to go through, I don't necessarily have a huge amount to say. So the... The plan is to kind of get in, get out. So it sounds like a good like ten percent of the podcast will be you spelling out HTTP <laughs> HTTP colon slash slash. One hopes not. Um, that's the entire purpose of the show notes. So, um, and you know how I love the show notes. Uh, you do. Uh, love the show notes. Okay. So I started thinking about uh, what I'm kind of describing as the veal pen topic uh, in earnest due to the latest kerfuffle over Twitter. And yes, I like using the word kerfuffle in conversations. Um, I think I'm going to try to include it in, in every podcast from now on. So something to look forward to for our uh, sharp-eared listeners. Uh, now, in the dev.twitter.com had a blog post, I don't know exactly how long ago, a little while ago, called Delivering a Consistent Twitter Experience. Remember that? Oh, it was, it was uh, one of my favorite reads. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it was. <laughs> and uh, so I'm just going to quote a little bit from it, and then I'm going to talk about the responses people had to it. Uh, one quote here is, developers should not, quote, build client apps that mimic or reproduce the mainstream Twitter consumer client experience, end quote. That guidance continues to apply as much as ever today. And, uh, okay, so Marco Arment, uh, uh, of Instapaper fame, uh, had a follow-up article to that where he said that this, this uh, post was, quote, unquote, menacing. Uh, it's been obvious for a while that Twitter has had a lot of internal cultural battles. We've been shielded from most of it so far, but I think the party's about to end. While I applaud Twitter client developers for making Twitter awesome for me and a lot of others, I'm glad I'm not in that business right now. Uh, now, in terms of that uh, internal cultural battles, I actually hadn't really been aware of a lot of that going on. I hadn't really followed a lot of maybe gossip, whatever, about Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, yes. Um, but there's another article by Dalton Caldwell, which, uh, which will be in the show notes as well, where he says one camp wanted to build the entire business around their real-time API. The other camp looked at Google's advertising model for inspiration. Okay, so that was, that was the argument. Right. The, did, did you ever read uh, Alex Payne's uh, blog posting about when you left Twitter? Ooh, if I did, I don't remember too much of it. Do you have a, it was, it was uh, no? long story short, it was um, kind of, he was 
kind of a, when he started with Twitter, it was the idea of kind of more communication-y, and he was disappointed that they just ended up kind of like relying on ads and like going towards that model to uh, sustain themselves. So yeah, so it's he didn't he was not think you know he went into it not thinking that it'd be like an AdWords type of thing or whatever. Right, right. We're, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So and then going on with the with sort of developer reactions, uh, there's a the next web article. Um, by, let's see, Matthew Panzerino, where he says, I pulled a few high-profile developers who used the Twitter platform and APIs. General consensus was that the wording of the post was ominous, uh, but everyone wanted to stay off the record for fear of upsetting the already wobbly apple cart. Um, and then another article about it from GigaOM said, Twitter expands from a scrappy startup into a global brand. So you, you take a lot of this stuff together, and it comes up with a, a particular picture, a particular portrait, a couple of things. Uh, one, and so, so for developers in particular. And one, you're at a mercy of a company, at the mercy of a company that won't give you clear information. Uh, two, you have fear of speaking publicly because you're kind of a captive audience. Uh, they could cut you off. And, uh, and three, the host company is, is changing rapidly. So you put those three points together, and that's a nice microcosm of of another company that we know and love, or at least know, uh, anyone, anyone? Wolf? Yeah, uh, I, it's, it's rings a bell, but I, I can't remember the ah, name here. of the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, now your response, Wolf, to a lot of these same issues with Apple, with, with issues with the App Store, was to pull away, right? Or to advise pulling away. Mm-hmm. So you say, well, I'm going to become less dependent on on the thing that, that that you climb out of the pen a little bit right right and so uh, so Brent Simmons talks about doing the same thing or s- some of the same thing uh, with Twitter in his uh, article or his his post uh, Matthew on Twitter restrictions and again Matthew's the Matthew Penzerino from the next web mm-hmm. uh, and he he goes through a bunch of things about well how could we set up a service that didn't rely on you know, a big co to, mm-hmm. to do it he says, you know, and any given feed could live anywhere on the web. Um, so, so really, that you know, that would be that would be a feature in the sense that one company wouldn't be able to shut down a whole service. But there really are a lot of problems with that, right? Uh, when I try to envision thousands of people setting up their own publicly facing web servers to then, you know, their piece of the service. Well, that, you know, that's kind of a big security issue, right? Does that mean all of those people, everyone who wants to be a client of this new service will have to maintain their own web server? Will have to patch it against exploits? Uh, et cetera. That, that seems hard. Like, that would be a hard problem. Yeah, when you look at the, the user case for uh, Twitter, uh, user experience is, you know, provide them a username and password and you're done versus having to set up accounts somewhere. I mean, it's free, it's easy, um, and, and even... Uh, uh, shared hosts are cheap, but they're still, you know, a lot more expensive than, than free Twitter. Right, right. So yeah, there's the convenience aspect of it, uh, which is going to be a killer. Most people, including me, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to, even though I could, I wouldn't want to. And again, I'm, I, I know enough about the, the technical issues involved that I would be very scared about having my own server out there, um, uh, just because it's not my area of expertise. I know enough to get myself into trouble, right? So moving on, Dave Weiner, finally getting to Dave Weiner. He talks about uh, Twitter as a corporate API in one of his posts on scripting.com. 
And he says, uh, I'm going to quote quite a bit from his article here, smart developers will not just conclude that Twitter is unsafe to build on, but also any company that is operating in the Twitter model. Uh, same advice for users in, regarding products like FeedBurner. So he's kind of attacking a lot of, a lot of these big companies. What Brent is advising exactly what I've been advising for a few years. And he goes on to say, conclusion, corporate APIs are good for the corporations that own them and bad for everyone else. I would be reluctant to develop on any corporate API unless I was prepared to have my work completely deleted or obviated or usurped by the platform vendor. You really don't have any power. Uh, however, it is impossible to avoid them, but try to. And he goes on, uh, okay. So, and, and then the, the thing that really set me, not set me off, but got me really thinking, well, I should talk a little bit more about this, was that Marco Arment then uh, did a post where he said, I'd like to propose a new theorem. On a long enough timescale, Dave Weiner is usually proven right. And that's really where I was kind of thinking. Like, I'd actually be interested in, in your, uh, your take on this or your, uh, what you think is happening out there. Because what I kind of think is happening is that that, that sense, that, that um, attitude of Dave Weiner, well, it's not something people necessarily uh, uh, do something about every day. It's kind of something, you know, as, as Mark was saying, it settles into the back of your mind as, well, here's what I should really be thinking. Here's, here's, here's the truth. And, you know, I may grub around day to day in whatever job I have, but, but here's, here's what I would do if I could. Here's, here's the real deal. Does that, does that ring any, ring any bells there, Wolf? Or? <laughs> well, the, um, <clears throat> it's, so how long, how long have you been reading Dave Weiner? Um, well, I, and I don't actually read him, uh, directly, but I, okay. I've certainly, uh, been following his, his views for a long time. So I've been reading uh, Dave Weiner since uh, I think he started blogging, and you know he invented blogging. Yes. Oh, you're just going to let that slide. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, does he? Does he? Well, he he was certainly involved in the very beginnings of, of a sure. lot of things. Sure. Um, he also invented AppleScript, right? <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> All right, 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 right. Let's keep going. So keep going. I mean, you know, <laughs> I was not present at the MagCAC where he uh, gave the keynote. But I heard the stories uh, secondhand, and uh -huh. him, you know, personally reaming out the Apple employees who were in the front front row. Oh boy! And yeah. Who you know did not make the policy decisions? They're just you know the engineers and all that. But right, right. Um. So, I'm. But I'm. I'm going to separate the like you should do in in all good debates, and you separate, mm -hmm. you know, the 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 ideas and the concepts and the arguments from the person putting them out. So. I'll take it at face right. value. And, and uh, I mean, basically any industry veteran is going to get burned. And so uh, he's been around for a while, so he's been burned. So it obviously depends on, on what type of stuff you do. But, yeah, so um, he's uh, largely right. Uh, these Here's the problem, w w what I have with what he says, is that, you know, he, he could have said that, he could have basically given Twitter side of the story that, which is, you know, yes, we could have built it ourselves, but look at, I mean, like even blogs and, and RSS is kind of fading into the background into being this uh, kind of plumbing infrastructure. And with uh, Twitter, I mean, they, they made it popular. And I feel uh, a, a lot of the same way about Apple is that they made their things popular. And, in a way that other that no other entity did, has, and so I don't. 
it's kind of like the gearhead geek mindset saying, oh, they didn't bring anything to the table. But uh, I think that's uh, missing, you know, technically maybe they didn't, but, you know, they they didn't have the marketing message, or at least they didn't stop the train. <laughs> like so many of these companies that shoot themselves in the foot. So it's uh, it's, it's something that engineers like your metaphor, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was that mixed metaphor thing it was, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, definitely one of these things where it's like uh, from the engineering standpoint, we tend to uh, diminish the impact that the non-engineers have, but uh, is there's something there that was very important, and they actually uh, they got traction. Well, it's interesting. So I'm going to phrase it a bit of a different way and try to run with that, which is that the thing that, that Dave Weiner doesn't acknowledge from, from this, this mindset is resources. And so my take on it, at least for this, uh, for the sake of this episode, is that platforms are resources. Right. Uh, building a platform means taking the time of someone who needs an income to eat, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a couple of different ways you can get that, that resource. You can, you know, charity, people can donate to your cause, and we'll get to a little bit more of that in a second. You know, the government can, can pay for stuff. Um, or you need a profit motive. You need something where you, somebody's going to make money off of this. And so, okay, so let's, let's look at the donation aspect of it, right? So when, if, you're, if you're a developer, let's say you're a kid just getting started or you're at a dead-end job, you know, what's the advice that most people would give to someone like that? To, to get ahead, um, get a get a better job. Get uh, go to college. Uh, what? I well, work on an open source project, right? Oh, get, oh get, I see. Uh, you're talking right. like a computer job. Okay, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, right. So so you know contribute to an open source project, and that way you, you know you you get some people now know that you can program mm-hmm. well. One hopes um, get a little bit of uh, 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 what popularity, a little bit of uh, notice from people around you. Um, so what, what I think, what some people say is generalizing wildly here, but some people would have you believe that if you just get enough of those people together, the donated, donated time from all those people who need, who, who need those things out of it will give you a platform. Mm-hmm. And I think what we've, what we've seen, again, generating wild, generating, generalizing wildly, is that that doesn't happen that way, that that's still not enough resources to make it work, to make a giant platform like Twitter you need giant investments. And so now going on with my links here, uh, there's an article called Understanding Twitter on Splat F with Dan Frommer. And he, he, uh, one quote here is, the company expects to make $1 billion in ad revenue in 2014. So, right, so how would you say that one? $1 billion. That's a lot of money. And they go into a little more detail on that in the, uh, in the talk show episode where Frommer is on with uh, John Gruber, uh, command versus splat, which again, I'll, I'll, I'll link to in the show notes, um, where he just goes into a bit more of the details of how that's going to work, um, that they've taken VC money uh, to, to build up what they have already, which is, which is you know, a large number of servers, a large amount of, maybe not a large amount, you certainly work to make all the, the APIs succeed mm-hmm. and, and do what, what we need them to do. And in, in uh, what they expect to get back from that, these VCs, is a lot of money. And so that's the, that's the bargain that they made. And so they can't say, we'll just break even. And so, you know, when people say, well, couldn't you just take my money, right? Couldn't you just right. take my five, $10, you know, $25 a year from all the people who are willing to pay and, and just make money that way. And then, you know, make sure as everybody else, 
but no, they, you know, they've, they've made that deal. They need to have everybody being part of a big ad network and, and they need that regardless of what you need, even if you're a developer for the platform. Right. Uh, okay. So then you go on, well, okay, if we can't do it on Twitter, let's do it somewhere else. So if, as I was saying, you need a big company to put in the big investment, uh, there's another, there's an article, this guy wants to build a new, better Twitter again from on splat F with Dan Fromer, uh, where he talks about an announcement by Daniel Dalton Caldwell. And I think I mentioned him above. I'm not sure if I skipped that one or not. Um, where he says, you know, I'm going to, well, his, his article is announcing an audacious proposal where he talks about how, you know, you raise for me, I believe it's $500,000 and I'll get you a company that can replace Twitter and give you a better deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going back to Dave Weiner, uh, I'm pronouncing that right, right? Not Dave yeah, yeah. Weiner, right? Dave Weiner, okay, very good. Where he says, uh, he tweets, for 500K, we should get one, open source, two, federated. Otherwise, we're just providing VC funding for no equity. And my reaction to that tweet was, well, yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. You know, this guy, if you look at this guy, the guy who has the ambition to replace Twitter, well, he was a CEO of a Web 2.0 company. And being CEO of a Web 2.0 company is, is what he wants to do, what he knows how to do. And even $500,000 uh, as startup money is not that much, right? You know, you talk about Twitter needs a billion dollars a year. Um, so that might get you started, but he's still going to need to go to the VCs. And he also knows the VCs. He knows the business. So, um, so that's, you know, so that's what he's going to do. So, yeah, you're seeding the money to get something started. But the, the trouble is saying, well, then we need to extract all of the value out of that company as our, you know, our, our shareholders, you know, before it gets started is that, you know, the VCs won't, they won't, they won't take that. They won't do that. They, for their money that's going to go in to make an even bigger platform, they're going to want value. So if we took all of that value out and said, well, the surf code doesn't, isn't worth anything because everyone gets to have it. And the servers don't mean anything because everyone's going to have their own server mm-hmm. in the same way that Brent was, was talking about. Then the resources aren't going to be there to, to, to make what you need. Um, so, and let's see, another thing I want to talk about. And so that's what you get from getting a platform which is not open. So I want to talk a little bit, maybe not too long, about platforms that are open and how they work. And my thesis, and we'll see from the examples is that the way you get dynamic, fast-acting platforms is by companies that are expecting to make a buck off of them. And what you get from platforms which are open and which no one's expecting to make, no one company is expecting to make big bucks off of them, is, is slow and not as innovative, at least not in the, over the same time frame. And so the two platforms that I can think of offhand are CC++ as languages and, and HTML and CSS. Mm-hmm. Right. And so C, C++, like when we were, I don't know, growing up is the wrong word, but getting started in the business, um, C, C++ was kind of, they were kind of the way to make native apps. Right. And I think what happened there was a lot of companies, no one company had the resources to do their own language, make their own language work. Actually, you know, the company did have the, the actually, uh, revise my statements, strike my statements. Um, <laughs> The company that did have the money to make their own language at that point was was uh, Microsoft, right? And they did have their own language. They had Visual Basic. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if they had anything else, but Visual Basic was a hugely successful language. 
And so you got the other companies, which at this point included Apple, which said, okay, if we want to support a language that, you know, if we want to sort of come back, we want to use open source to come back, we'll have to make ourselves support a language that everyone uses. And at this point, that was C, C++. So you could have cross-platform code that worked on Windows and Mac. Um, and what happened, again, wildly overgeneralizing, is that when all these companies decided to go their own way, um, they doubled down on their own, invented or doubled down on their own languages. Right? So Microsoft invented C Sharp, uh, Sun had Java, and, and Apple I mean, doubled down on, on Objective-C uh, in order to make their own. So they, they all centralized on their own platforms. And, and because of that, we no longer have that same sense of a, of a common language. Uh, so, so, so that's one way to, to look at it anyway. I'm sure there are other ways. Um, so what would you say, Wolf, to the idea that, that, uh, that these open platforms have been slower to develop? Well, you've, <clears throat> you look at uh, like the C evolution, and it seems like, and it seems like it's de- been definitely um, like things that should have been in the language a long time ago. For example, my favorite example in this is pound import versus pound include, right? Like, uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> like pound import is such an obvious slam dunk, <laughs> yeah, right? Because everyone has to has to preprocess their armor or the header files. Otherwise, everyone, and this is and you know, it's never happened. And I mean, Apple's even given, you know, published a code in, you know, in both GCC and in now in Clang to how to implement, you know, pound import. So it's not like it's magic. And I'm sure that I, I'm, well, I was going to say that I'm sure no one has patents on it, but now I'm actually probably pretty sure that someone does have the patents on it, but it's probably Apple. Yeah. They probably have the prior art, but although I Could don't even know if that works anymore now that it's first to file, but anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, it's, is it is a good example, like, um, like you do remember when, uh, you know, when Apple was uh, first kind of touting Cocoa, and at the time they were also like, oh, you know, you can don't worry, you can program in C plus plus and use Carbon, um, and you oh, you, and, you know, Java, you, you guys like Java, yeah, so okay, Java. yeah, right. you know, Cocoa Java, you you can use this other language that you all like, and we do, yeah, we do have this Objective C thing, and we really think it's cool, and we think you should use it, but you know, we have these other languages, like, we're totally not wanting to. Uh, scare away developers, and I think that was because of the overall weakness of the platform. And it's interesting that that as Apple's platform has grown stronger, that they is it's like you know what's what's, what's the chicken and what's the egg here? Is like um, you know did Apple's platform grow stronger because they they started pushing more on Objective C, or or did they were they able to push more on Objective C because their platform was stronger? I think there's probably some sort of feedback mechanism there, and where you can't point to either one being ex- exclusive, and I think they kind of feed into each other. But uh, yeah, now that their platform is hella strong, it is like, oh, guess what? You got Objective-C. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I wish I actually would take that even further and say, yeah, the C APIs and Core Foundation, yeah, those are, we're deprecating all those too, and it's going to be Objective-C down the stack. And that would be so awesome. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, but anyway. Yeah. Well, the, so... Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good point bringing up um, um, Java especially because yeah they were they were touting Java to the extent that that people were worried about Objective C, mm-hmm. um, but what they're doing now and, and again the thing that that feeds most into mostly into what I'm talking about today is that they don't you know Objective C doesn't have a spec and various people have lamented this that, um, that you know Objective C is what Apple says it is mm-hmm. but that's the way they can they can keep going that's the way they can keep adding stuff to it as they want to. Because they're not beholden to anybody else, uh, they they control it, and uh, all right. So, 
So those are the um, those are the advantages of, of of being a for-profit company with making money off of your own platform. But I would also say that um, you mentioned HTML and CSS before. That um, yeah. this is actually a good example of kind of the hybrid approach, where you know obviously there is you know HTML standardization, all that. But Apple has this freaking you know WebKit. And the you know it it basically has the keys to the most popular uh, HTML engine there uh, currently is. I think there's between a Safari. I mean, Safari's market share is actually pretty low, but uh, with Chrome and uh, WebKit being Nokia phones, it's like it's it's definitely the dominant web engine. And you can see that Apple is um, you know with every iOS release, they're like, yeah, we added these dash WebKit stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's like here it is. It's live now. You guys might want to take a look at it because this is the standard now. And then the standards body clamor and they like Mozilla tries to implement it, Opera tries to implement it, and Microsoft tries to implement it. But it's clear that Apple is driving certain types of advancements. And yet this is a standardization thing. But again, they're not waiting for the standards body. They're not trying this out and asking for comments, all that. They're saying, here it is. Here it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't necessarily planning on mentioning it, but there is a, an article from uh, a friend of mine, Farouk Atesh. Where he talks about the problems with, uh, with the problems with that, with Apple moving so quickly and other people not, not catching up quickly enough, and so it's the same idea. It's they're pushing for their own advantage, even in the midst of of standard things, and and it's the same idea. It's they they want to make they want to make money off of it, and how they're going to make money off of it? They're going to make money off of it by having the best implementation, by having the best user experience, and that takes resources, and that takes control, and and so they do it. So. Yeah, it's, so it's, that's, it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, the entire WebKit thing is like, it's almost like a re rehash of the Apple Java thing, right? Because the history of dashboard widgets was this is the way that apps were going to be on the iPhone, that you're going to use dash code to write these widgets. That And I mean, the, the, the timeline matches because we had dashboard and 10.4 and you had the dash code development environment, all that, right? Right, yeah. And, and <laughs> so like that, this was going to be like how I- iOS apps were going to be written. You know, and it was going to use this crufty Objective-C thing because obviously JavaScript and HTML is, can do it all now. And, and then right. Apple found that it didn't have the performance they wanted on the first-gen iPhone hardware, right. and they abandoned that route. And um, they obviously had remnants of that, hence the sweet solution. Is that what the term was? <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah. but it's... So it's one of these things where it's like, again, Apple was... Um, you know, ha- has this other platform, this idea of how you could do things that didn't pan out. And it's like these two things that didn't pan out, the Java and the widgets for iPhone app things, like is like kind of failures of other people's technology that Apple kind of stumbled into more power. That's one way to look at it. Um, well, so that, so I've kind of gone over, well, this is, this is kind of how it has to be for giant platforms. And here's how they get their benefits mm-hmm. for themselves out of it. But then what are the benefits do the developers get out of it? Right. So I can talk about myself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so why do I stay in the veal pen, right? <laughs> why am I not a free-range developer? Um, well, and the two things that I was thinking of when I was putting together this topic is, you know, the one is the elegant experience. And, and the idea isn't just that it's an elegant experience. It's an experience that I can get by writing apps for this platform that I couldn't get myself. In the same way that I couldn't really set up my own Twitter platform off of my own home server, I couldn't make uh, an app experience uh, this good without without buying into how Apple does things and buying into their uh, their platform. 
Um, and you know, before I knew any programming languages, I knew that I wanted to make apps for the Mac. So it didn't matter what the language was. So, you know, mm-hmm. C++, C, Java, Objective-C, it actually didn't matter. I just said, I want to do that. Whereas I suppose there might be some people who say, well, I want the most elegant technology behind the thing and then I'll, I'll, I'll use whatever platform has that and then do that. But no, I went from sort of the, the outside in. And there's also, as we said with, with Twitter, there's sort of the wide reach that, that if I were to say, I don't know, there's a lot of other ways you could, you could try to do it, right? You could make a website and, and invite people onto it, um, you know, for an open source platform and say, well, if I want to work on a platform which, where I have uh, the ability to change things and contribute to things all the way down the stack, well, that's Linux, but then Linux isn't on, you know, the desktop for a lot of people. So no, I, I go for something with the wider reach and that's, that's Apple platforms. Of course, that could also be, be Microsoft at this point. Um, or I used to be Microsoft, but, right. but in any case, but so those are my reasons. Um, and I'm sure you have your reasons as well, mm-hmm. uh, for staying there. But the last part of it, the last thing I want to talk about is that the, the, the last aspect of this is temporal. Um, and this is where kind of me and Dave Warner kind of get back together, um, is that all you're getting, and this is actually also something that people have been talking about with the, the Sparrow acquisition, right? where you, know, you talk about, well, you don't, you don't ever really have an app forever, even as a user. And that's a little bit of a different issue, but it's kind of related. Uh, you, know, you never can just stay placid in the VeoPen forever. Um, and that's why I think the VeoPen is kind of the wrong metaphor. Um, you, know, you think of the cows in the VeoPen, well, they're, they're, they don't really, they're not really thinking about it, right? They're, they're just there. Mm-hmm. Um, but developers are only cows if they're also unthinking, if they don't keep an eye on their environment. And, you know, we talked about this with, with a lot of things. We talked about this with, uh, with the, the app store. I talked about this with growth that what you, what we're suggesting, the kind of advice we give to people, even though we, ne- we sometimes are, are harsh on, on variety of authority figures is not necessarily so radical. Um, but we are bringing up the issues to think about. This is one thing that I really like about the, the podcast as it's, as it's turned out so far is that we're, we're kind of, you know, pointing things out that people might not have otherwise pointed out. Um, and one example of this, which is totally off topic, but I'm gonna go into it just for a second anyway, <laughs> is your tweet about the honeypot. <laughs> right. Right. And so your tweet was, wow, white house online petition, honeypot even stanks the likes of Schneier and, and Gruber. And this is the idea that, that you know, both Bruce Schneier, the security expert, and John Gruber were saying, hey, you should, you should sign this petition to, uh, to, to urge the White House to, I don't remember exactly what it was anymore. To, to obey the law, the TSA, the, uh, TSA law. TSA law. And, and what was it? Open something up or, or follow the rules so that you don't yeah, abuse people? There, there's basically some um, uh, legislation that affects the TSA in terms of uh, forget their behavior or something like that. But yeah, it was yeah. Uh, passed a year ago, and they have have not complied. Right. So, so when I first read Gruber Gruber's little article where he mentioned Schneier's article, and I'm pronouncing that right too, right? You are Schneier. correct. You are correct. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Two for two. Um, I was thinking, you know, hey, okay, that makes some sense. That makes some sense. Hey, if Schneier's for it and Gruber's for it, then you know, maybe I'll go. Maybe I go sign it. But you kind of, you know, twisted that a little bit. You you said, well, no, that's not another way of looking at it. Is that it's 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 a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> that it's there to sort of to grab your energy that you might have used to actually pursue an avenue where you were actually uh, uh, putting pressure on the White House to do something, and sort of snagging it harmlessly in this this activity where you wouldn't be doing that. 
because the online petitions are really a lot like radar in the sense that they're mostly there for them to get information about uh, new information about problems that affect uh, what they already wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It's not an avenue for you to argue with them to do something differently. Mm-hmm. And this actually, and so that's kind of what, what, what edge cases do. What I'd like to do otherwise is to say, well, you're in this situation. You've made this bargain to get these benefits for the sake of these downsides. But, you know, you got to keep, your, you gotta keep your, your eye on the ball. So for these Twitter developers, you know, is it really something where you could say, like, like Winery was basically seemed to be implying, well, you know, you're just chumps for having done that, for having mm-hmm. gone to them. Well, I would say that getting a couple of years, how many years now are a lot of these Twitter clients been out, mm-hmm. of, you know, income mm-hmm. and, 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 and fun, you know, just making this app that does cool stuff that lets you connect to people. Getting those things for, what, three, four years maybe? Mm-hmm. Two, three years? Is, could very well be argued to be worth it in and of itself, regardless of what happens in the immediate future. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have gotten it any other way. So as long as they're saying to themselves, well, here's, here's the situation, I mean, here's what I might have to do shortly to change. You know, like, for these, if these people aren't already thinking about it, hopefully already started other apps that will get them the same sort of income they get from this, in response to the fact that Twitter seems like they're going to try to cut them off, mm-hmm. well, then maybe they aren't really thinking too much about it. Maybe they are being a little bit too too comfortable in that boiling pot, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, but if they are thinking those things, they are thinking ahead, well, then, I, you know, you really can't fault them. They got some great stuff out of it. They got mm-hmm. to have some fun. And that also brings up another point, which is, um, uh, you know, Weiner seems to be making the assumption that, you know, you have no power at all. Well, what the Twitter example shows is that you do have some power. Like if Twitter wanted to just say, you know what, we don't care about you anymore. We're going to shut off your API tomorrow. Go to hell. Mm-hmm. They could do that. And you know, it wouldn't really affect them very much. There aren't that many people using these clients, but they don't. And I think the reason that they don't is because the people who are on those clients, while, they're, while they aren't that many of them, they're the movers and shakers. They're the people who have a lot of influence on other people in terms of, hey, here's what apps you should use. Hey, here's what's cool. Uh, here's what you should do next. And so if they cut them off tomorrow and made all those people mad, they would be giving themselves a really big black eye uh, out of proportion to the number of people involved. So these app developers, I, I, I don't know exactly how they could use that, but, but the thinking is you don't think you have leverage, but maybe you do. But you have to start thinking in terms of leverage and not just in terms of fairness. Because fairness is almost never going to be a big deal when there's money involved, right? Sometimes it will, but a lot of people will, people will make their decisions based on their best interest. And uh, a lot of companies do things that seem very generous uh, precisely because that will get them more money in the long run when they're thinking it through. If you get a loyal customer, you know, by giving them a little bit back, well, they're going to buy something again from you. You know, it dovetails with being a genuine human being, and that's <laughs> cool, but it's also good business in a lot of cases. So these, these developers, you know, you might say, well, okay, I'm not quite ready to make my new app yet, uh, which does something completely different. I need to milk another year or two out of this stuff. Well, you're an app developer, you know, you can probably influence Twitter right now because they don't want to piss off these, these users. And I guess, so that's, that's another thing. So, so think about where you are, use the leverage that you have and keep in mind, um, keep in mind the temporal aspect Keep in mind that you don't get to anything forever and you will not be a cow. Yeah. I think the entire, uh, argument about, yes, what you had four good years, um, yeah, that's a, that's a great argument. And yeah, every app is temporary. I mean, we get locked inside idea of like, you know, Word or version 11 or whatever that these apps will be 
around forever, but um, it's uh, definitely not the case. Yep. Right, and, and you know, it's especially true right now. Is certainly the, a lot of the people who are making Twitter apps are also buying into the app store, which you know, as we've as I've discussed, is making it problematic for you to keep your business going anyway. <laughs> right. So you know, you've got a couple of different ways that you have to think about. Well, how am I going to how am I going to keep myself going? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you do what you can, do what you have to, but but don't don't pass up on the rewards you can get in the immediate future. You know, and again, you can't just say, well. They were just making money for a short time. Well, a couple of years is a long time. Make money. Yeah, especially in cat years. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about cats for some reason. <laughs> Crazy reason. Okay, so that's pretty much all I had to say. Any uh, any thoughts on your end? Yeah, when uh, you were explaining like the um, you know the kind of the um, Brent Simmons idea of of developers getting together and building the, this platform. For some reason, it really struck me like of the stone soup story and the idea of a, like a stone soup platform that everyone can get together and this, build this platform and we'll have this delicious soup afterwards, even though none of us had the ingredients for soup. Um, but you're, yeah, but you know, that tends to be not as good as the soup you get at fancy fresh restaurants. Stone soup. Is this something I can, I can Google on? I'm not oh, familiar with you see, I'm assuming you knew about stone soup, but you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> you didn't know about it. Okay. Well, it's probably just my contemporary upbringing that I hear about these, <laughs> these uh, folk tales, but yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll put a link in there for the show notes, yeah. for, show notes for people who want to uh, check that out, who don't already know the story. And, Sounds good. And the other thing I'll mention is um, this kind of as an overall point, which is kind of a, a kind of a tenant of my life is you mentioned kind of like uh weiner saying uh not not directly but not his words but you know you're what are you doing signing up for this corporate api you're kind of chump if you do that you're digging your own grave and um yeah he, he doesn't really i think you did a good job of enumerating yeah there's a different side of the story and that he doesn't even uh doesn't even talk about and in general i found that when if you assign the reason why people don't why people do or don't do things the fact that they're stupid or they're chumps or that's ignorant um general generally when you're uh leveling that accusation or if you're th- kind of thinking lowly of the other people that means you haven't really thought through their side of the story <laughs> yeah yeah there's actually brings up another point that i was uh, that i wanted to to reiterate although i've mentioned it before is you know it, it does the argument that i'm making uh, again, coming from my personal experience and where I'm coming from, you know, again, I'm I'm pretty dedicated as an Apple developer for the reasons I mentioned, um, and you should keep that in mind as well. Like, you know, I could be making more of Dave Weiner's argument. Uh, again, we're not actually that far apart in terms of what we say. You know, even he said you're probably going to use these APIs, right? Right. And we're both really in agreement. It's just how you how you approach it. I'm approaching it as a as a pretty dedicated uh, veal pen developer, as it were, and to use the technical term. Um, and and he's not. He's using it as, as even more of an outsider than we are. Mm-hmm. So so there you go. Okay. All right. So you're ready to wrap things up then? I'm ready. Okay. So uh, that's it. We're, please visit our website, edgecasesshow.com, all one word. You can also find us individually on Twitter, me, A Pontius, A-P-O-N-T-I-O-U-S, and Wolf, Wrench, R-E-N-T, the word rent, plus Z, plus (laughs) S-C-H. Bye-bye. Bye.